This American Monster. A Monster of the Week actual play from This American Dice. Raphael Fetzer had kept his family at the company picnic longer than he intended. The sun would be going down in a little while, but he didn't want to leave and miss a chance to put in some elbow rubbing with the manager. If anything could make a few slip-ups go away, it would be being on good terms with the person above his supervisor. The screams that carried across the lake drew the attention of the dozens who dropped their drinks and party snacks and ran to the water's edge. The two kayakers were both employees of the subsidiary that operated this Lore Corporation research facility. Upon discovering their deaths, company security was called rather than the police. All that was discovered in those twilight hours was that the two were torn apart by something. Grant Childers was able to get his janitorial job under a false name pretty easily. The pay was not the absolute worst, and with this new identity, he could commit himself even more fully to his true purpose. Despite leaving the hospital relatively well and narrowly avoiding arrest for far more serious charges, he thought his life was over. The woman he loved was gone. Her parents said she was getting help, and they refused to tell him any more. The look in their eyes, however, told him they were hiding her from him, and they were even willing to hurt her to do it. Searching through their trash, he was able to get a few clues. But things became much more clear when some unknown benefactor scrawled the name of a company on his window one spring night. He got some fake credentials and applied for a job with a janitorial contractor that serviced a medical research facility. After that, it was just a matter of a few weeks of cleaning till he knew the place well enough to try to get to its heart, to see where they were keeping her. Keeping her from him. When the phone started ringing and a lot of the security guard types hustled to the front doors or out to the nearby lake, he knew that now was the time. The time to brave the labyrinth and save her. Tegan Simpson got the call and put the whole Crider Lake facility on yellow alert. She knew that an incident like what happened at the lake would bring cops eventually, and she figured that the more her people could find first, the better the higher-ups would control the situation. Positioned where they were about the facility, the security staff could afford to send several agents to the lake to handle that situation. Nobody was getting into the building. Despite that, Tegan ordered the security staff to arm up, just in case. What she hadn't thought about was who and what were already inside the facility, inside her impenetrable perimeter. By the time she saw the notice that the Section 5 research corridor was open, she knew it was far worse than she bargained for. For her, it wouldn't matter, as she wouldn't live to be fired for her strategic mistake. The fact that there was a security alert in the pump systems room was not much of a surprise to Nat Perard. There were enough mechanical issues and messes that the doors being left open was hardly worth any real concern. But nonetheless, Nat had to go down and check it out. Yeah, it's nothing, fucking janitors, Nat said into her radio as she closed the door confidently. 
It was, after all, the only way into a room that was essentially a bunch of pipes and grates with openings only four inches wide at most. As she turned the corner to head back to her post, the green blur leapt from the shadows. Dr. McLean would later consult a zoologist and determine that the slash marks on her throat were likely the work of some sort of reptile or crocodilian. He knew just the creature. As the alarm blared, Grant Childers stared at the bloody corpse of a security guard and the red, webbed footprints that led away from the body. His knees were shaking as he moved through the doorway, the locking mechanism of which had been torn apart by something inhumanly strong. But his monomaniacal impulses urged him on. Knowing he may need it, he took the key badge off the guard's body and even picked up his gun, still warm from being fired recently. The first view of her that he got was mere seconds before she changed. Transforming from a tired girl in her late teens to a hulking cat monster, she stalked the sealed room and, once she could smell him, pounded against the clear wall as he gawked at her new state. He had known her all his life. He had always loved her, obsessed over her, and now he came to realize that he hadn't ever truly known her. The lock on the door, more complex than any of the previous, had been battered with the same intensity, but it couldn't have been her that did this. Those were outside her prison. These things didn't matter. All that mattered was her freedom. Without her, no matter what she was, there had never been a him. Grant tried the card. He tried nearly every button and combination he could. When the door flew open, the creature stared at him for just a moment. She stared at him for just a moment. She saw him. Grant Childers was happy that he had helped the one person he had devoted his life to. The one person whose recognition made his obsessive life seem like it mattered. The person who was the focus of his attention as Tegan Simpson's bullet ended his life. Both of the specimens are at risk, Tegan yelled into her radio. Shit, the eggs are gone. The rock's still there, but the containment room for the girl seems to be ho- The reflexes of a panther, particularly one acting in fear or going after its prey, are terrifying to behold. En route to the facility, Mr. Bishop hung up the phone, knowing that Simpson was dead. The next day, Roberta Hellinger woke up in the woods. She had no clothes and no idea where she was. It was a forest, but not like the forest she was used to. A nearby creek babbling and the songs of birds were interrupted by footsteps. Before her stood a creature the like of which she had never seen. Ancient and imposing, it seemed like it had come from another time. She instinctively moved away but the creature extended a green, webbed hand and looked into her eyes. So we've solved the mystery of Count Nikolai Rostovich, the vampire, and uh, we've had some really nasty consequences of that. Aside from all of you almost dying, 
several people are pretty badly hurt. And also Reagan is dead. Reagan fell off of that tower, the uh, Cypress Knolls tower. We see uh, Sundry following along this ghostly image of his wife. And maybe we've seen pictures of Sundry's wife in the past and some flashbacks. And now we see her again. And um, she's leading She's leading him in this direction. It's through a lot of, uh, it's very, very abstract. We can, he, we can tell he doesn't know where he's going. And so kind of the amount of time and the actual distance is lost on the audience. And um, yeah, we see that he kind of stumbles and falls. Maybe like the, the journey itself is really, really difficult. Was Sundry really hurt in that last yeah, game? Yeah, he was almost dead. Yeah, so he's kind of stumbling and falling and stumbling and falling. And um, when he falls down, we see like just a shot of a grave and over him, uh, like is the camera, like looking down at him in this grave. We see the sunset and maybe an image of someone coming out to him. And when he opens his eyes, there's an older woman standing over the grave. That's like, like, what are you? What are you doing down there? Are you all right? Are you all right, son? You look terrible. And he's like looking up, I guess, in the rain and dirt. And he's like, is this it? Is my time finally up? Is this hell? She says, no. Them devil harpies here to uh, make me pay my due. She's like, no, this isn't. This is far from that. You seem, although looking as you do, you're, you seem like you're, uh, you're near to, uh, your last voyage. Well, I certainly feel like it. I feel like something came loose this time. She says, here, see if you can get up. And if, like, maybe he can't get up without help, she'll get uh, some assistance from some other nuns. And you pretty quickly realize, like, you are at a church or some kind of nunnery. Okay. I think it maybe should be clear to them as well. Like, he's taken like more of a beating than like a normal person could withstand and mm -hmm. still like talking, which is strange. Yeah. I think they'll, we see them kind of like bring you in and then she'll say like, Oh sister, he's, we, we really need to call, we really need to call a hospital or an ambulance immediately. This man, this man seems like he could die at any, at any moment. Honestly, she says like, Oh, hush, hush here bring him back to, I don't want to say an infirmary. Maybe he's like, uh, just let me die, sister. Uh, tired of doing the devil's work. She'll say, like, I'll not have, I'll not have the devil, I'll not have the devil drag anyone down while, while I'm at the helm. Now, hush. She says, bring him, bring him back to the, uh, bring him back this way. I don't know what this term, what the term for this would be. And she says, we'll set that up as our inf as our infirmary, I guess. Infirmary seems like a fine term. And so she'll, they kind of like bring you into this room. They kind of set you up on uh, either a table or a bed. And a few people will try to like, like wash your face and maybe uh, uh, see to your wounds, but like fairly lightly with pretty basic, um, 
first aid kind of knowledge. And and this woman will be like kind of looking at you and talking to you as they're doing that. And she's an older woman and she's wearing kind of a habit uh, that's very kind of light blue and white. Uh, but the cloth it's made of seems like incredibly, incredibly coarse. And okay. as you look around at the, uh, as you look around in this place, you feel like, oh, you're definitely in a church. And, but it has a different feeling than some of the other churches you've, you've seen, especially if uh, you're like, oh, this is def- probably a Catholic church, but even then it seems a little off. And so she says, what's your name, son? Um, my name's Sundry Charm, miss. Sundry Charms? Hmm. All right. In the flesh. She says, well, for now. Yeah, what's left of it? All right. How'd you get out? How'd you end up in a grave? I was uh, chasing my dead wife. I saw her. Hmm. And she'll look at you for a while. She's. She'll say. I think one of the other nuns says, "Like, like, oh, he's, he's, he's delirious. He's either in pain or he suffered a concussion or something." And she'll. And she shushes her, and says, "And your wife led you there." I always knew I'd end up in a grave. Every every sailor gets put out to sea, son. That happened. <laughs> she has a lot of nautical met- metaphors. And that is when you realize that this church is incredibly nautically themed. <laughs> One of the weirder things is that Jesus is on an anchor rather than on a cr- just a cross. Mm-hmm. And um, all God of the Jonah. Yeah, all of the nuns, like in place of like rosaries, they have like n- small knotted ropes mm-hmm. and, and that kind of thing. Here a telltale like uh wooden like click every time they put her she puts her left leg down yeah <laughs> and she has a parrot on her shoulder yeah it's like yeah christ's word <laughs> um yeah so that's that's going on but she'll she'll say to you like well you managed to well, you managed to stay alive many times we're ships ships adrift on the sea of the world but when we look to the lord for guidance we can find uh, we can find a way to navigate and weather these storms, and arrive at the other side. As and and be with him. Well, I've never been a religious man, but uh, I'm a God fearing man, particularly these days. When one when the uh, one of the nuns like goes to the other room to get something else, she'll say, "I can see that there's something there, son. I can see that there's something." pulling you off co- I can see that there's something weighing you down Sundry uh, will point to his watch he'll say uh, uh, I made a deal with the devil and now uh, my days are numbered unless I do his work I think she'll in kind of encourage you to like rest and she'll kind of tell you um, she'll encourage you to rest and say like just you need what you need to do son is not work you need to rest and you know in baptism a man is reborn 
I mean, and she'll like talk about baptism and the idea of rebirth and being like born again. And she'll mm-hmm. say, uh, like describe like, like emerging from waters as this like purifying thing. And she'll say, but that doesn't mean that, uh, that doesn't mean things are smooth sailing. That doesn't mean you can just cast yourself adrift on the sea of this world and end up in, in God's kingdom. And that's a port of call that requires a, a navigator. If you commit yourself to steering towards that light, if you resist those uh, kind of like wayward winds, and if you like fight against temptations to go off course, you can still get there. But it takes a lot of work, especially if the ship, uh, especially if the ship that you're sailing has been so off course for so long. Lady, you want me to walk the plank? Uh, jump in a, uh, some dark waters. Uh... You know, I'm I'm happy to try. I've done tried everything else. And she'll say, I can see it in your eyes that this isn't a laughing matter. You can joke around about it as much as you want. But yeah, you just woke up in a grave. And it looks like if you don't change something, you're about to be there. Now, maybe uh maybe Sister Eliza is correct and you soldiers and you just got a concussion. But if you really sold your soul to the devil, if you're really that off course, then dying now isn't just a bad option. It's the worst option you could have. So it seems like what you need to do is get better and get yourself right. That's uh, starboard. Yeah. Or star, or starboard, and then she clanks away with her wooden leg and her on her one crutch. <laughs> Long John Mary, they call me. Yar, and she slaps you. Yeah, and Cedric wasn't even being sarcastic there. Like he's prepared to take a leap of faith. Okay. Yeah. So then, yeah, maybe she'll maybe she'll stare at you for a while and say like, "All right. Well, first thing first is." We got to get you better. If you can move, you clean yourself up. Can't have the nuns in here doing that for a doing that for a strange man they find in a hole in the ground. Guy, let him get his sea legs. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We see a cemetery. And we see that there are people dressed in black suits. There's a woman in her like later middle age, perhaps crying. Um, there's a minister kind of consoling people. And you, we can see that a funeral has just ended. It's got to be raining. It is. It is raining. Um, I think it's so it's like under a... Uh, it's under a tent. So it's not just that like Mm. crazy Florida downpour of rain for 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think like the funeral is kind of coming to an end. Like this is, it's kind of over. People are kind of like leaving. Um, Perhaps the casket we already see has been lowered into the ground. And a few people had put shovels of shovels full of dirt on it. Um, We see a guy who is maybe wearing like, linen flowy pants and uh, a t-shirt with a 
like a suit jacket over it, and he's a white dude with dreads. We see there's a picture of Reagan, and um, I think it's a picture of Reagan not as we've seen her, but maybe um, closer to when she left high school. And so it's like a very like well put together picture. She doesn't have uh, white girl dreadlocks, um, and uh, she is probably wearing like a like a nice dress. And we can see that Ashton is clearly in attendance. So what's the uh, expression on his face as he stare as this as people are leaving this funeral? Um, well, yeah, I mean we gotta go maximum drama. So I think he's just the one that's uh, that's there with like the umbrella or something. Or no, not even an umbrella. Just like under the tent, just watching as everyone like files out, I guess. Or not watching, but like looking down at this grave you know mm-hmm. Express, expressionless we see kind of a shot from the grave up of him and he's staring down at it and kind of looking and the water's kind of dripping off of him and we see that there's a person who approaches from behind him this person's also wearing a dark suit though their suit is kind of ac- uh, accented with a lot of kind of unnecessary adornment uh, maybe like more red than you would normally see someone who looks like they are possibly a magician as much as a person coming to a funeral. And this person's also wearing sunglasses, but it's made, but it becomes pretty clear as they um, kind of move out and into the fo- move towards the camera and into focus that it's Mirzad Pushanchi. We see Mirzad Pushanchi come into frame and he reaches into his breast pocket. We know that Ashton has... Um, why is Ashton surprised to see anybody from the Lore Corporation? Yeah, I didn't think he was expecting to see anybody because um, they were they probably feel guilty, in, in his mind at least. Okay. But he's also just so in shock still probably that... Like, when he's... Maybe he when he notices that he's there, he just Ashton turns to him and just like, Oh, I didn't expect any from anyone from the company to be here. He looks around and not seeing anyone else from your crew, not seeing Welker or Sundry or dark blade. He reaches into his kind of uh, inner breast pocket and pulls out a letter. And the letter is immediately recognizable to Ashton. And uh, it's the resignation letter that you had sent. Mm-hmm. And we see a quick flashback of Ashton writing this, and uh, what's what's going through his head as he's writing, as he's as he's essentially saying, "Here's my two weeks' notice." I think last time I talked to um, Rizad, he said, uh, "If not." explicitly like indirect indirectly he said uh Lorcorp doesn't really care about victims or anything and then this last mystery kind of proved that very concretely for him so um i think he would i don't think he would say he would let that slip in the letter he would probably try not to He'd be very professional mm-hmm. but uh yeah i think that's kind of the reason ashton probably put in or like had to leave just like um, this. I thought this was just a job, and now I've learned so many new things, and I realize that Lorecore is just not the right uh, place for me. Maybe 
is how he put it. Very diplomatically. And he'll say, they don't understand tragedy. The only loss they saw was the loss of opportunity that Count would have presented them. If you died, if you leave, the loss will simply be viewed as the loss of a tool. Regrettable, but easily replaceable. And he hands you this uh, sealed resignation letter. And you can tell almost immediately it's not been opened. Mm -hmm. And he's giving it back to you. And he says a tool or perhaps a document now no longer useful and a liability to be shredded. And he just kind of, you know, looks there and it probably turns away from the grave now. Um, it's just like, oh, so I guess, I guess look down at him, right? Because he's significantly shorter. Just like, uh, so you're just saying I'm trapped? You could try to leave a group like that or you could keep working for them. Keep making money. Keep watching them do stuff like this. There could be a third option. You know, I was the one who initially turned the Lore Corporation's attention to you. I was the one who could tell that you had potential. I was the one who encouraged them to keep an eye on you. That's why you were in Welker's files. It wasn't because they needed cheap labor. They've got whole countries of that. It wasn't because they needed another intern who would just do stuff for free. They've got universities of that. I pointed them towards you because you, I hoped, could see this for the tragedy that it is. And if you're willing to make sure that these kind of tragedies don't keep happening, tragedies like what happened to Lauren Walls' friends, and the bigger tragedies that could have happened if the Lore Corporation got powers it could never control, tragedies like this, and there's the shot of the picture of Reagan, there's the shot of the, there's a shot of the grave, and there's mm-hmm. a shot back at Ashton's face, and he says, then you'll hear me out. Then Razad walks away. Then Ashton like stays there for a beat or two and like follows him wherever he's going. I think we have another situation in which Mr. Welker are called to um, the Lore Corporation, like a Lore Corporation office. Before we we see that, do you think that maybe there's an office that they've set up here in Palmetto City? Um, do you think that you guys get called away again or what? I would think they have one that we don't have to go flying for if it's just for us. Um, so, well, what I'm what I'm saying is almost like, do you think that they would set up an office where you guys can operate out of almost as a like a headquarters, and that they could meet you there? Let's say for the sake of simplicity, yeah. Okay, I've brought this up kind of before, but the organization of the Lore Corporation is super super complex. And so at some point you're told that you guys are going to have office space available to you in the such and such office building. And we can come up with a name for that office building in a moment. The temple. Sure. So this is the temple building, which it confuses people. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of people who are every, every, witnesses yeah. and Jews for Jesus. 
and they all like go they all type in temple and their google maps takes them their map quest mm-hmm. they keep showing up and being like this isn't what i thought so they actually have to spell yeah. temple with an a instead of the first e so like to get around that so people know to type in temple <laughs> So my body is my temple. <laughs> yes. All right. So we're at the temple building. So we have a shot of um, Mr. Welker and Ashton heading into the temple building. And the temple building is definitely, it's in downtown Palmetto city. It's maybe 15 or 16 stories. It's not massive. It's got this pretty nice hallway not hallway, but it's got a pretty nice lobby that you go through. And what a nice hallway. Yeah, what a nice hallway. So the funny thing is the premise of a, of a nice lobby is not all that much more less insane. Um, but so you go through this nice lobby that has kind of this... Um, there's some security that kind of talks to you or checks you in, but it's not the kind of more intense security that you encountered when you went to the Lore Corporation... Uh, when you went to a Lore Corporation headquarters earlier okay oh maybe maybe when you get up there you're just given the you're just given the floor number and so when you get up there isn't even um there's a a secretary like waiting at the desk and uh there's no there's no signs up or anything like that and when you guys get off of the elevator the secretary says to you like oh hello um hello mr welker please uh have a seat let me just tell them that you're here so I, I gotta ask you a question. So the last scene for Walker in the previous game, the end of the mystery, was him finding out that he was dead, mm-hmm. and like seeing like in the company files that they knew he was dead. Is that something he he knows in the timeline going into this? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So this is this is after that stuff. All right. Cool. It's only a couple of days later. A couple of days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's a few days later. Three to four. So if someone like broke an arm or a leg, it's definitely still broke. And you take a seat here in this lobby, kind of hang out for a moment. And you see her um, get on the phone and she's like, oh, uh, Mr. Welker, Mr. Welker is here. Okay, absolutely. Thank you so much. She types up some things and finishes them and she uh, like gathers up some of her stuff. And is like, okay, um, Mr. Mr. Welker, could you come this way, please? Struck and go along. She'll kind of get up and walk you over to, um, like, I imagine there's mostly, there's, for the most part, there's like two different doors that go off to, imagine you walked in and straight ahead of you are, is this woman's desk in front of like a room where you could kind of have a few seats. It's not enormous. Uh, but it's kind of this waiting room and it's right out of the elevator. Like the elevator opens up to this. And then essentially on either side of her desk are two doors. And so the door to the left, she brings Mr. Welker that way. And she kind of swipes a little key card and enters a number in and she hands you the key card. Okay. And she'll say like, like, Oh, if you just go down the hall to, uh, the the big room on your right. They should be there to to see you. Okay. And she's like, she's like, all right. Thank you very much, Mister Welker. Have a good rest of your day. And again, she's got all of her stuff. Where it's like she's got like her purse and some files. 
and it looks like she's leaving for the day. And I think if you like look through this door that from from the reception area, you this door had been kind of like a like a frosted glass. From this side, you can see out, and you can see that she just leaves. Mm-hmm. Like she gets in the elevator and goes. Um, are any of these uh, doors in the la- way there labeled anything like uh, uh, top secret personnel files or anything mm-hmm. like that? <laughs> Spinning gears that if you walk in here, you die. Yeah. Um, I don't want to walk into those. Yeah. <laughs> nice try, idiots. Um, shouldn't have labeled the room. Uh, n- you can tell me in a moment. Okay. I think that for the most part, my idea was that they're only just setting this up. And so a lot of these rooms are almost empty and like kind of a blank slate that can later on they can do stuff with. And so in the way that she didn't even tell you like, oh, it's conference room B. She just said the big room on the yes. right because they don't even have the rooms numbered. Uh, okay. Yeah. All right. Cool. So I'm imagining that. Do you think that they would have like, uh, oh, maybe they have office furniture, but it's still in packages. Yeah, it was a long shot that I so, stumble across the... Uh, top secret files on the way to the conference room. Yeah. All right. Um, I think as you're heading that way, who pops is who pops himself out, but Mr. Bishop. Okay, cool. And I feel like I wouldn't even need to be Mr. Wilker to feel this way. But every time he like enters the room and Mr. Bishop is kind of like, yeah, (laughs) this is uncomfortable. Yeah. He comes out and he's like, all right, Wilker. Come on in. He'll let's talk about uh, let's talk about how things have been going. Awesome. Uh, yeah, he'll say, "Of course, Mister Bishop." I would. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Yeah. So, I think as you come in, it's just you and him at this large like conference room table, mm-hmm. and I think that he doesn't sit entirely across from you, uh, but it gives off the feeling of like a, um, what is it called? A performance review. It gives off the feeling of a performance review, but with a person who is like, emanates a lot of menace. And so it's a performance view of review of like, and if, if it doesn't go well, I'm going to kick your ass. All right. I think Walker's ready for this. So he sits, he, he's, uh, he sits down and I think he has like, there's like a file on the table and he opens it and he lists off a date. And that date was, uh, the date that you guys brought in the, the Gilman eggs. Mm-hmm. And he kind of slides an image over to you guys. And it's like an image of like, it says like sample, sample number, such and such, uh, acquired, on that date that he read. And then he um, looks at an opens a looks at another page in that folder and says another date to you. And that's the date that you brought uh, Roberta Hellinger in. And he slides that over to you. And um, there's a picture of like that shipping container, not the shipping container, your van essentially landing at a facility and you can um, you can just kind of see when it says like like delivered to, uh, delivered on such and such date, which is like the next day or like that very same day even. And he says, you'd done good work. 
Thank you, Mr. Bishop. I agree. Lately, it seems that we haven't gotten much from you. I beg to differ, Mr. Bishop. Maybe you haven't been informed about the uh, stone and the tower? Uh, have you been briefed yet? Oh, yeah, I forgot about the stone. Fuck. And I think he'll say... No. Oh, yeah, he still says that, and he's like, yeah, I heard about this. I heard about that stone. What about the things that were running up in the place? Well, um, as you may what be aware, Mr. Bishop, uh, that in order to defeat a vampire, they don't exactly leave much behind. I assure you all of their effects remain where they left them. He says, a lot of resources went into getting a team out to Romania, and that team didn't come back. And now... Yeah, you got a rock, but the thing that we lost those folks for, up in smoke. I say with all due respect, Mr. Bishop, uh, I can't account for the talents of the Romanian team. I do feel, however, that my team has performed to, and I dare say, beyond expectations. Hmm. And this one, this is when he starts... Uh throwing out some some like more suspicions at you and i think he'll kind of like lean into this and i'm just going to tell you where he's going with this um he's suspicious of something going on in the company and he's trying to suggest that you know something about it and um if you have any suggestions for how he brings this up i'd i'd love to hear him but otherwise i think he's just going to say like the research that this company does is big money shit the kind of thing that a lot of people would kill for. The kind of people that a lot of folks would sell people out for. He'll return his gaze and wait to see if he says anything else. And he'll say, a little convenient that, yeah, the thing we went looking for, we didn't get. And I think, th I think this is when he's going to bring up the news to you about, this is when he'll allude to the um the facility being like infiltrated and robbed okay how could he do that fairly subtly uh does he ultimately want him to know or does he want to see if he knows he wants to see if you were somehow involved with that or have any suspicions of who might be involved in that. Oh, maybe he could be like, I heard tell that you were asking about what happens to the subjects after they're taken from you. Oh, I absolutely. Ask questions about that. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, he'll say something like, like big money like that could make people do a lot of stupid things. Almost as uh, stupid as somebody gets a wild hair up their ass about some pretty young girl. Starts asking a lot of questions, starts maybe snooping around where it's not really their place to do it. Listen, I, I can only assume you're talking about Roberta Hellinger. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure if you're a family man, Mr. Bishop, it's not my place to ask. Just as it wouldn't be my place to ask um, for too many details about what happens to these subjects. But um, I, I was curious, having met Miss Roberta as, you know, one of us, a human woman... Um, it does tug on the heartstrings, hmm. but, uh, he'll say, um, but if that's not all right, um, then, uh, then it won't happen again. Hmm. Okay. I was thinking about having you make a cool roll to see if there's anything that like comes out in this conversation that maybe you wouldn't want to come out. Okay. I can do that. Want me to do it? Uh, sure. 
I think I, a, and I think a seven to nine roll will be interesting for this. Well, prepare to be disappointed. I got a thirteen. You got a thirteen. All right, cool. Was Walker informed about some sort of intercompany like divide or conspiracy before this? Sounds really familiar. Was that like informed about any particular people or like a um, schism? Well, you know that you know that Anna Cross seems to be working with the police. That's what it was. Yes. And she so, doesn't know that I know. Uh, I think Anna Cross doesn't know that you necessarily know. Okay. But she thinks that you. Files. Yes. And she's the one who gave you that file. Yes. Yep. I think the way we even said it is either that she's either working with the police or she straight up like is some kind of cop. So I think he just says like, I think he just looks at you, folds the file, like he like closes the file that he's got in front of him. Oh, with that 13, I'm going to give you some information for this. I think you can, this maybe would have been more of a sharp roll, but you did so well on that. I think you can figure out some of this information. You figure out two things. One, his just closing this file and kind of moving a chair to sit down um, is like the all clear signal. The other thing you notice is that when he moves, he has like um, a gun, like the safety loop or catch or whatever it is, is not strapped on. Like he could very quickly, quickly draw this gun. And when he moves in a, he, when he gets the chair, you see that it has like a silencer on it. And you were like, oh, depending on how I answered that question, this dude may have just killed me. Delightful. Um, and he kind of spins this chair to sit down and that's when Jessica Lawrence enters the room. Okay. Uh, so I like, I get this out there. My objective in this meeting is I want this. Welker wants to come away with this from this, like with a promotion, essentially he wants to get mm -hmm. into a higher position where he has access to like more Intel, like, yes. like all, like as many top secret files as he can mm -hmm. in the interests of like knowing what the hell happened to him and like what the program was that revived him. Sure. And I think that I want to use some of this to reveal. I want to start really opening up the old files that I have for like what went on and like untying loose ends, untying, tying up. Cool. That, cutting, that, those, that, cutting those that loose ends, well circumcising them. He then. Yeah. Well, he okay. wants to circumcise himself into the loop. Gotcha. That's what my doctor did to me. It's I'm so it's, sorry. Yeah. So Jessica Lore comes into the room. She was described as Rachel Phelps from major league. She's she kind of comes in. You've seen her in a lot of like promotional videos. I think you maybe have met her in passing a few times. Um, I think when you were like given this promotion, she kind of met you, talked to you, told you for the most part uh, on a cross and Mr. Bishop would be kind of like working with you on a more day to day basis. So you've met her before. She's uh, usually wearing, I think they're just called power suits. Right, where it's like a suit, but it has a skirt to it. Yeah. Yeah, sure. So she's usually wearing those. She wears red a lot of the time, but not always. And um, she kind of comes in. I think she has kind of uh, brown, uh, brown, dark hair. And it's up in kind of a bun. There is another person with her. And that other person is a small man. Um who is wearing a lab coat and kind of looks like almost the uh, almost a cartoon scientist. I imagine him. Do you remember from uh, Andy Richter controls the universe? Um, Andy Richter's uh, office mate. He was also in better off Ted. He was the white scientist. Yes. I remember both those things. Okay. I'm sure David is frantically IMD being these people now. 
And when she comes in to the room, she says, Mr. Welker, I believe we have quite a bit to discuss, and I hope that you can provide us with some answers. Maybe Darkblade at some point is doing something, and there's like a cop car that pulls up to him, and out of the car comes one of those two cops that you guys had run into in the bathroom. And uh, the cop just starts like kind of hassling Darkblade. And I think just um, is like, I remember you. And he's like, you gave me a black eye. Oh, you must be thinking of someone else. I, 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 uh, I couldn't hurt a fly, sir. And he's like, he's like, oh, I don't, for, I don't forget a face, kid. It's like something weird was going on there for sure. I know that. But here's something else I know. And I think he just punches Darkblade in the face. And he's like, whatever was going on there, that wasn't you. But I don't like getting punched in the face. It's just like, now, watch it. And he'll just kind of storm off and leave. Ah. So, again, we don't have to include that at all. But I just think that that would be a, like a goofy scene. And then if we're encountering other cops, that can be one of the cops who already is like, I'm angry. Um, But yeah, so I think Darkblade is at home. And he is perhaps looking over some of the results of this case. And how good is Darkblade with maps? He's a map master. He's a map master. Now yeah, he's he a break- cartography. Now would and he break sadly, out? He doesn't ever get to use it because everything's already been mapped. Yeah. He's now clearly the blue yeah, part is the land. land. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so he Buster Bluths a bunch of maps. Now, is he looking at a bunch of physical maps? Or are they... I believe them. Um, No, yeah, he's looking at, like, topographical maps. Okay. And looking at the... Trying to read, you know... But he's reading between the lines of these maps. That's perfect. Could you make for me a... He's got, like, a little microscope, and he's looking at all the little pixels, like, of the map. But he's reading between the lines. Hmm. Could you make a, a sh- could you make a sharp or a weird roll for me? Yes. Whichever one of those is higher. If you're using weird, I'll make this weirder. If you're using sharp, I'll make it more mundane. Okay, he got an eight, and that's a sharp roll. An eight. Okay. So you're looking at the three locations where you've had um, these mysteries. So if you look at uh, the Magnolia Place mansion where Alan Graves is that Alan Graves's family had owned, if you look at the Cypress Knolls Tower Gardens as another location, and then you're looking at um, you run into a problem of you're like, wait, Roberta Hellinger's, would we use her house? Would we use the um, Swamp's Head uh, State Forest? Would we use the park where the first victim was found killed by the Panther? Would we use the university? And so this is like taking you a good chunk of time. And um, you start to see if you can kind of like triangulate any of these things. And you're like, okay, well, we've got three locations. Let me see if I can find anything that connects these, like either in the center 
or anywhere else. And so you start, um, if you've got physical copies, maybe you're taking a compass and making like loops to see where they might intersect or connect with one another. If you're doing this digitally, maybe you're using some kind of like CAD type program to do this digitally. Mm -hmm. But eventually you are able to find some of this information, though the, the minor thing that I'll reveal is it takes you a while. Mm -hmm. um, one of the places, if you draw, if you were to essentially take a compass between um, the Magnolia Place Mansion and the Cypress Knolls Tower Gardens, and if you were to draw circles with each one at being the center, one of the other, there are two other locations. You know what I mean? It would create essentially like a Venn diagram situation. And at the intersections of that kind of oval in the middle, at one of those intersections uh, goes through kind of a residential neighborhood. And, okay. and you can remember a few things about this residential neighborhood that you think are a little bit interesting. And they are... And that that you're like, there? Uh, you you remember that at some point your parents had lived in that neighborhood. Mm. Okay, so this is all starting to make sense. Vampires, dark blade conceived, and um, what else do I know about this place? Well, if you take a little while to bring this up, I think uh, I'll just ask Carl. Carl, has dark blade ever been to Mister Welker's house? I can't remember. I think he, or would I like he, he did. or would he know where Mr. Welker's house is? I mean, it's dark blade. I'm sure he knows <laughs> if, if Welker didn't tell him he found out. So let's say yes. Okay. So one of the other things is you can figure out this, ha um, the point, the exact point where this ends is almost at the back lot of Mr. Welker's house. So that's one of the interesting things that you can find that if you kind of like try to triangulate some of this stuff, especially based on those two locations rather than three, if you look at between the Magnolia Place Mansion and the Cypress Knolls Tower Gardens, one of the strange areas it points to is uh, basically Welker's house. Oh my God. Chase and Welker's Julia Welker's. My dad. Yeah, that's the deal. It all makes sense. All makes sense. He's just been trying to keep an eye on me. Mm -hmm. That's why my dad doesn't want anything to do with me. That's why he I always calls you. Dad. That's why he always calls you sport and gives you noogies. Come here, yeah. you little guy. Come here, you little you little stinker. Yeah, that's why mom. That's why. Wait, then the guy who I thought was my dad. That's why he always. That's why he's always. He's always called me bastard. Huh. So and I think, make sense now. and I think at this point you hear like, Herbert, Herbert, we've got, uh, I just got back from the store and I got that, uh, that kind of Mountain Dew that you like. Code red. Yeah. The red one, the cherry kind. Did you get cherry or code red mom? Oh, I got the red one. <laughs> is that, is that cherry? It. It, it, it better be code red. Mom. I don't want to be drinking I don't want to be drinking cherry flavored Mountain Dew for for weeks now. She's like, here, well, let me just show you. And she comes on down into the sanctum sanctorium of Darkblade. And she's, yeah, she's got some Mountain Dew code red. Is there cherry Mountain Dew? Is that a thing? I think it's just code red. 
Okay. So yeah, she's got some code red. And she's like, isn't this oh. isn't this cherry? But it says it says red. Yes, mom. This this is ex- mom. You did a great job. This is exactly what I needed. This is perfect. Thank you for restocking the armory. And she's like, all right. Should I leave it down here for your mini fridge, or you want it up upstairs? You know, you could come upstairs more often. Your brother said he was going to stop by again pretty soon, but uh, after that after that big foo-for-all that happened a few weeks back, he's. Your father was a little bit shaken by all that all that stuff that you were you and your brother were arguing about, but they're they're gonna come back maybe maybe this weekend. Anyway, are you are you do you, are you doing some scrapbooking? I see that you've got a I see that you've got a the old place here circled. What are these other places? Um, when's Brian coming home? Brian's already here. Is the last thing Darkblade hears as the garage. That surrounds his neck. It's Brian, and he's out for blood. Yeah. <laughs> roll a new character. Roll a new so character. You're Brian now. No, um, aren't we all? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> and she's like, she's like, oh, he said that uh, they said they could be coming this weekend. Maybe Saturday. Maybe Friday. Probably not Sunday because he and uh, he and his wife would have to be getting back. Um, uh, in case they stay late, they don't want to be out too long. Plus, you know, with the baby on the way, she should probably make be making sure that she gets some rest. Okay, well, just I just want to make sure, you know, every time Brian comes over here, it's always the same thing. He always comes home, and then he, you know, is the prodigal son. Everybody's happy to see him, but then he goes back to his other house and uh, I don't want you to get your hopes up well I know he always leaves us um, but it's at the end it's just gonna be you and me and it's just important that uh, none of Brian's uh, uh, all of his uh, family and children and success and and she'll say oh oh you 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 worry about me too much. I'm I'm proud of Brian, and I'm happy to have my miracle baby right here. And she'll uh, and she'll kind of she'll kind of go to to pat you on the shoulder, and say, you know, back a long time ago, I thought I we your father and I thought we were never going to have a baby, and then there you there you were. That's oh, I there I was. Where, yeah, did you find me somewhere? No, no, no. You 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 know. Sometimes I think you were an immaculate conception. You were like a little miracle. That's 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 beautiful. Um, you know, I went into labor, Lee. What's mm-hmm. like a what's a what's a reasonable but dangerous uh, premature baby amount of time? Like five months. I, uh, I think that baby's dead. Yeah. So. Okay, but she's like, I went in, I went into, I went into labor after only five months, and I thought you were, I thought things were going terribly. I, we thought we were gonna, I thought I was gonna lose you, but after five months, you came out. You were so small, and then you grew up so fast, and were just as healthy as any other baby. It was, it was amazing. It was a miracle. Okay. Um, dark that's why I've always, that's why I've always thought that there was an angel that gave me to you and your father. He, he 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 turns his laptop around to his mom and says, "Mom, have you ever seen this man before?" And it's a photo of Mr. Walker. 
She goes, yeah, you brought him here several times. <laughs> but she's like, yeah, he's you, your I, friend from work. Yeah, he's your friend from work. <laughs> but did you ever meet him before I introduced you to him? No, I don't think we ever met beforehand. I, I, and I think you'd worked with him for a little bit before we, we, I met him. He seems like he seems like a nice man. I like his outfits. He's very, very clean cut. He reminds me of that Mad Men show a little bit, but without all the the hanky panky stuff. I don't like that business. Yeah, neither do I, Mom. And he like pats his mom on the head. That's when the top of her head opens. The sharp, jagged shards of her skull become teeth, and it rips yeah. into your hand, uh, it style or thing style. Fuck, wrong one. Anyway, no, that doesn't happen. But that'd be cool. Yeah. Um, um, this game so is going to be called "I'll Keep Interrupting with Cooler Things That uh, I Should Have Done Instead." <laughs> um, Mom, you always just call me your immaculate conception. Did you like sleep with anybody? Before I was born. And she's like, well, I don't want to talk about that. But no, you. I don't you, really want to talk about it either. But you, you do call me your immaculate conception a lot. I don't know if you want to talk about it or not. But I did find your internet browser history one time when you used the family computer. And it made me uncomfortable. <laughs> but no, she says. Um, she's like, you know, the doctors had all said that your father and I couldn't have a baby. And I didn't know if it was. Uh, exactly what the issue was and then one day well i swear that i i went for a little walk nearby our house at the time and i found i sat with an angel and then afterwards i was able to have a baby and it wasn't nine months later it was five months and the doctor said there'd be no way that you could you could survive, certainly not, and be healthy. And then here you are, all big and strong and, and smart as ever. And my little baby's living with me. Like, what a miracle. Yeah. And I'll, nev I'll never leave, Mom. You never, you don't have to worry about that. And she's like, well, if you, if you did, I wouldn't be upset. You could, if you found a nice girl or found a nice boy, that'd be okay. And you could have a family or you could adopt and get your own miracle baby. I mean, oh. it was right. It was right there where I saw the angel. And she points to the spot that you uh, have on the map. The angel? Mom? Yes. What do you... Oh, yeah. Well, can you... Did you met an angel? You've ever told me about an angel before? What are you talking about? You saw Just an like... angel, like with wings? Oh, he definitely... Yeah, he definitely had wings. Wow. And was he... Did he have a halo? I think I can remember a halo, and I sat under a tree um, in a little, in a beautiful place, and I, I spoke with him, and afterwards, he was he was so nice, and afterwards, soon after enough, what? the next morning, the next morning after I'd spoken with him, there there you were, my precious little angel baby. Mom. That's why I, That's why I collect those porcelain angels upstairs, because they remind me of you. And um, because I heard on the Home Shopping Network that they're going to be worth a lot of money. But I got to keep the tags on. Yeah, I got to keep the tags on the Porcelain Angel Babies. But, but Mom, are you telling me that um, after you met this angel... Okay, so after you met this angel, you became pregnant. Is that right, Mom? She's like, of course. Okay. She's like, I, can, I could swear it was back in... Um, 
and she brings up five months prior to the time your birth date. But before you met the angel, you were not pregnant. That's why I said, that's why I call you my little angel baby. Look at this tattoo. And she flashes her tits and it says angel baby around each nipple. Oh, mom. She doesn't do that, but she does uh, say, that's why I call you my little angel baby. Mom, did you, know, you ever? You know, if you want pictures of the old of the old house where your father and I lived when we first um, when we first were married, I, I can just give you the pictures. They tore the place down and rebuilt something. The place looks okay, but it's all it's it's all looks the same over there now. Oh, yeah, could you show me the pictures, mom? And uh, oh, sure. You, and you just um, did this angel have a name? She's like. <laughs> There was some kind of angel name. I don't remember what it was because afterwards, when you think about that kind of stuff, you just remember movies and books mm -hmm. and when you were a kid and you went to Sunday school and that kind of thing. So Michael or Malachi or or Halo, I don't remember. Carl? I don't think it was Carl. Okay. But here, let me get you these pictures. And she gets you... Um, He's not Pictures a well-known angel, but he's he. It is it is the name of it. It is an angel. The angel Carl. Yeah. Patron saint of breakfast sandwiches. Oh. Yeah. Um. So she'll she'll get you kind of like old pictures, and she can show you indeed that there were these kind of uh, that early early on. Um, they moved out of there like just after you were born. Uh, they had lived in essentially the neighborhood where Welker lives now. And in fact, because of one or two little landmarks, you could tell that they essentially lived um, either like right next door or right behind where... Uh... No, fuck it. They lived on exactly the same lot of land that Chase Welker lives on now. Okay. She was like, we, we had rented that house. After we had a baby, we decided, okay, things were working out. We were so scared that uh, you were going to have all kinds of medical bills, but you, you grew up so healthy. It was, it was phenomenal. Wow. Okay, Mom. Um, wow. Thank you for telling me so much about how I was um, – how you found me. I, I think this is, you know, something that is very special that we'll always share. Um and Brian will never share. <laughs> she says, Brian won't share. He won't have to. And again, Brian emerges from the shadows, knife in hand. No. Um, okay. I think, well, I think she just looks at you and like hugs you like, oh, my sweet little angel baby. And we, we see a shot upstairs of just all of the angel babies. So one of the big things was that Count Nikolai Rostovich uh, created several people that were vampires, including Cat Guy, who bit uh, Ashton. And um, I think he was disappointed with that and had killed Cat Guy. But we never saw that happen on screen or found direct evidence of it. There was at least one other vampire that we saw on screen, and that was the one that turned into that big pile of rats, as he might be called Rat Guy. So, but there was a, his name was Marlo, though I don't know if you guys are ever introduced, introduced to him. 
So Ratula, Ratula, mm-hmm. and yeah, and then there's the Ratula, the song from the cartoon. He was eating molten cheese instead of ketchup as blood. Nosferatu. Nosferatu is pretty good as well. So we never saw that uh, the vampire that had turned into a bunch of rats at the tower. Given that you guys know about this character, do you make an effort to find him? Or even just since you know you didn't encounter him at all in the tower, do you make an effort to find him even thinking, hey, there's still another vampire? Sundry probably would because he's trying to collect um, supernatural stuff to give the devil. That could work and kind of like help solve some of that. Yeah. I mean, I I think Walker would be happy to sort of like not have that be on his radar. That also free up Sundry to sort of take one in on the down low. Ooh. Yeah. Take one in. You know what I mean? Without this being too impressive, because remember, we don't want to upstage the, the two vampires that we already killed during the mystery. So Sundry, over the next several nights or even further that night, probably over the next several nights, how does Sundry go about finding um, this third vampire, Marlo, this third vampire? So he'll stake out the gardens uh, under the assumption that anything vampire-related will maybe go there to check out what happened. Okay. So then that gets us to another important question. So the cops definitely show up to this. Um, uh, pe- or I shouldn't even say the cops, but like people show up to this. There was a big fire. And once there's no longer the supernatural cloud kind of like pe- keeping people from this, there's probably like smoke. Or once people don't show up to this, does that happen while Sundry's there? Or does that happen down the road? Because I could buy that like, oh, that'll happen in a couple of days. And it only takes Sundry a couple of days to find this, uh, to find Marlo, this other vampire. Either that, so either, yeah, he gets there first, or um, maybe those ghosts who he's sort of befriended um, shroud him there. Sundry sticks around, or at least comes back to this tower, to the gardens, and kind of keeps a lookout for Marlo, for this other vampire that had turned into all these rats. And you're able to capture him. Again, are you able to capture him in part because he is no longer a vampire? Wouldn't you say his like um, powers are waning or something like that, or he's um, maybe losing his supernaturalness, but it's not quite gone yet. Okay, so yeah, so maybe he's acting more kind of like a. Uh, um, he's maybe you see him hunting animals on the property, so there's like coyotes and raccoons and other things like that, and he's just like ripping them apart and sucking out their blood and that kind of stuff. And you go up and ask that guy, Hey, have you seen a vampire around? Yeah. <laughs> hey, can we talk for a second in the men's room? Yeah. <laughs> can we get into a men's room for a minute? Yeah. You just make flush noises as you walk around the grounds, hoping that he'll be like, like it's like a duck call. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you're able to uh, maybe set some kind of trap and uh, capture this this vampire, which again, uh, Marlo is this guy who has rather than kind of like the fangs of a vampire or even the like the crazy hell mouth just full of teeth like an eel that uh, the woman that Ashton killed had. He instead, I think, just has like almost somewhat rat like teeth where his front uh, teeth are hugely sharp, almost beaver like. 
Yeah, not and, all vampires uh, get cool teeth. Yeah, that's one oh, of the rules. Of the <laughs> we see that Sundry is following this uh, this this vampire, maybe stalking him from a distance as he's eating. Yeah, rats, coyotes, raccoons, turtles—just any creature that he can get a hold of and just rip them open and kind of like gnaw on them disgustingly. Uh, the clouds and other stuff around this tower that in the past had been this like fog filled mystical storm have uh, led up pretty significantly. Um, there are still storms, but they're now like regular seasonable storms for the summer and uh, on the West coast of Florida. And it's not as crazy. And then at some point you're able to snare this, uh, this vampire who you later on can figure out is named Marlo and maybe he still has some effects on him that have, have his name. Maybe he does still have like a, he has like a ring that says that on there. And so maybe that's not even his name. That's just what you know him as. And uh, yeah, you're able to capture this guy and he's very, very far from either that woman you encountered uh, or Count Rostovich, or even him from earlier when he mind controlled those cops, he just seems kind of like a like a mad animal almost. And he's able to speak a little bit, but it's it's very very short. It's like 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 let me go, ah! and he's ra- writhing about as you've maybe like stuck him with a bunch of stuff, um, and maybe tried to rope him up in some way or another that can kind of bind him. You remember the strength that some of the vampires that had that seemed like they would have been able to rip apart these bindings. And he seems like he's only just as strong as like a regular man who's maybe really mad at something or a little bit stronger than normal. So I guess he just bundles this guy up, throws him in the car. And then his plan would be to like go to the DMP and like hand over the piece to a car. You're like, Here's this car you asked me to turn in. We can see Sundry. And yeah, you tell me how this how this process works. Like when you pull up, it's a DMV. Is it during regular business hours? Is it like at night and there's um, like just a security guard hanging out on a golf cart nearby? Is there a little garage that they have for some vehicles and there's someone there? Is there anyone there? So I think originally when we talked about it, it was like, you go there after hours and there'd just be a room that you lock the thing up in. And then like, it's like a room to nowhere almost. You just get to the DMV and it says, you know, Palmetto city motor vehicle, uh, department of motor vehicles. And you kind of pull around the back and there's various doors that have like labels on them. And there's one that is maybe big enough for you to pull your car into so, like, maybe it is a garage, or would you prefer it just be a regular-sized door? No, that's fine. Okay, so you see, like, a garage. Like, maybe there's, like, a keypad, and you got to punch in the key code. Mm-hmm. And the key code is just whatever time it is on his watch at that particular time. That's way, way better, because it actually personalizes it to you. Yeah, so there's, yeah, like you said, there's no there's no discernible handles on the door itself. There's no physical locks. There's just a keypad. Um and maybe you try a few things, almost give up. You look at your watch to see like the time you have left in case this isn't going to work. And then you say, what the hell? Type that number into the keypad and you hear it beep and a light turn green and the door just opens like in the standard garage door style. Um, and 
I think we see like the car, though you're not in it, the car turns on. And so like the lights flash and it just starts rolling slowly towards the door Whoa. and like goes into it in kind of like this shadowed darkness. Tesla and uh, yeah, like a Tesla, Elon Musk comes out. He's very strange. He accuses you of being a pedophile. Um, it collapses into a mound of rats. <laughs> it turns into a bunch of rats. I think it pulls in and you just see kind of like almost this inky black shadow as the car seemingly disappears. And then after it's gone in there, it pauses a second. And if you try to look in, you don't see anything. You saw the car go in there with the lights on. You presume that the taillights would be lit up and you don't see any of that at all. It's like there's just almost like a black curtain extending right at the precipice of this portal. And um, then eventually the bumper of the car comes out and it slowly just rolls out almost not even at the speed of uh, like the car is idling more at the speed of you're on a driveway in Florida and you put the car in neutral and it slowly kind of rolls out. It gains a little bit of speed towards the end, but just eventually stops right there. And then I think you hear the garage. We, we hear the garage door as you're, Oh no, we see a shot from the inside of the car of you just staring at it. And behind you, that door just starts to close. So you are now in this room with three other people, Mr. Welker. It is, we join Chase Welker, uh, Mr. Bishop, Jessica Lore, and the scientist who you are introduced to. It, you probably recognize him as Dr. McLean. Okay. And Dr. McLean has probably given you checkups. Oh, okay. In the past. And he's a, like a scientist and doctor who works for the Lore Corporation. Um, he was probably one of the people there after you handed over the um, the amphibian eggs, the Gilman eggs, as you guys have called them. After you've handed those over, he was probably one of the people with Bishop, with Mr. Bishop that you saw pretty early on. And so um, Jessica Lore will say, Mr. Welker, there have been some setbacks lately, and we want to make sure we can do everything possible to keep not only our employees safe, but to keep the company on firm footing. We've made a lot of discoveries and breakthroughs that, without attempting to flatter Dr. McLean or be boastful, a lot of discoveries that have revolutionized the way we think about certain fundamental, almost immutable aspects of life. Well, certainly piques interest. And say, Mr. Wilk will say, well, that's, I, I hope you haven't brought me here just to, um, how, how he says, he'll say, um, I certainly, I'm hopeful that you brought me here so that I could uh, share in these revelations. That sounds absolutely fascinating. Our facility at Crider Lake was compromised. And I think Bishop kind of just hops in. Six people got, six people got torn apart in the process. Walker will say that's awful. What happened? Did they bypass security? Was were, were, was there an attack? A rival corporation? There seems to have been someone on the inside, though exactly who we can't tell. 
Whoever it was was able to get through defenses that should have been substantial enough to stop them. And and Bishop again will chime in and just say like, like there had to have been there had to have been somebody on the inside to get at least uh, to do at least part of this. That's horrible. What was the target? Two of the three acquisitions that you brought in were taken. Was our was my team targeted? What what? I don't understand. And are, we in Is, are my are my uh, teammates in danger? She'll look at the two um, like files that Bishop had put in front of you, the two pictures of the the Gilman row and of Roberta Hellinger in that uh, like van. Your team may very well be in danger, Mister Welker. However. Your team has also proven itself very successful. I have confidence that you'll not only be able to protect yourselves, but hopefully make up for what has been taken from us. Well, man, my, we, I, I speak for the team when I say we consider it a point of pride. Those are, those are our acquisitions, and they will remain that way. We will get them back. Um, a, a subject that I was hoping to touch on with Mr. Bishop before you entered, actually, I will dovetail nicely with this. I think the time has come, if I may be so bold, uh, to take a more of a leadership role. I'm ready for more. I think I need access to the information that would help me better serve this company. I can appreciate this negotiation move, and we certainly would appreciate your help in this matter. And you've certainly proven yourself loyal to the company. If there's anything you could do to assist us with these matters, your future with this company will be more than insured. Uh, I'll say, I'm very happy to hear it. Um, there's nothing I want more than to help as much as I can. And to that note, if I could be granted uh, top-level clearance for the research notes of, um, of my department, I have no doubt that would help me get to the bottom of cases like this more quickly. And that's completely understandable. It only makes sense that you understand the full makeup of the team that you've been leading for the last few months. Mr. Welker, I'm sure you've realized at this time that the team you've put together is made up of people with quite a few extraordinary talents. Of course. You yourself are among them, not only because of your capabilities that you've displayed time and time again, as well as your loyalty to this company, but you yourself are living proof. Proof that this company is able to affect great changes for the better in this world. So feigning surprise, he's going to want to inquire like as much of that as possible. Be like, how, how do you mean? I don't follow. Dr. McLean, could you bring up Mr. Welker's file? And he's got a look of like, uh, do you want me to, uh, and she's like, like the file file. Yeah. Like that kind of deal. Like, oh, which one of the files (laughs) he's got that kind of look and she'll, uh, like take the iPad, like the tablet out of his hands and, um, like press a few buttons and hand it back to him. And he'll be like, oh, Certainly. And he'll like scroll through some things and open it up and show you. And you have seen this file already, but it does provide, I think, like some additional information, some additional like dates. It has some like research notes as well. And she'll say she'll tell you um, on that particular date, which at this point is probably like like a year ago, like like between six months and a year ago. 
Oh, recent. Yeah. She'll... Okay. Uh, well, or at least maybe six maybe six months to a year prior to you guys uh, capturing the Gilman stuff. Yeah. So um, that same date that you had from both that spooky book in the uh, Cypress Knolls Tower Gardens and that paperwork that Anna Cross gave you. Mm-hmm. And it'll basically just say that she'll tell she'll have Dr. McLean go through this stuff. And he's like, uh, well, you were brought back after, a after a being out in the field and you were certainly non-responsive and he'll like kind of rattle off some medical terminology. He'll say like, we were able to utilize some experimental lore corporation technology to resuscitate you. And he says the word resuscitate with like a not, like that's not the word he wants to use. Like that's not the word that he's meaning. That doesn't encompass the meaning he wants. So like filling in the blanks, like looking over like this file that's in front of him, he'll say, you're saying I was dead. I think he like pauses and he goes to equivocate what that means. And Bishop just says stone dead. Then why am I here? Some of our other teams had been able to find, had been able to bring in some acquisitions. They hadn't been anything as promising as what you and your team have brought in, but nonetheless, they were, they were promising. And with information we had gotten from other information that we had brought up from our research sec, our research sector. He's referencing Merzad's, uh with information we'd gotten from our research and intelligence unit. We'd been able to develop a procedure. It was experimental. We had tried it with others and it it had not worked. Your evidence that it works. Uh, Mr. Walker will turn to Miss Lure and and say, uh, why did you keep this from me? You have a family. You have a promising career. You have a great talent. I didn't want you to be a medical specimen. Why can't I remember this happening? That's shouldn't I know if I died what happened and Dr. McLean again will jump in and say like in in the other and he goes to say test subjects and he doesn't and he says in the other cases in which this procedure had failed there was memory loss especially memory related to yours only seems to be several hours in other cases, days or even years, memory loss about what had been happening. Uh, you were able to be brought back. That's one of the reasons why we've pushed you always to see, well, Lore Corporation doctors, is to make sure that we could uh, not only keep what uh, keep this procedure secret, but make sure that uh, uh, you weren't unduly bothered by this. And this is uh, the thing that he'll point out to you. So what's the weird thing that Welker has? Does he have like a weirdly low body temperature? Does he have no pulse at all? I feel like those, the, the pulse thing would have been noticed by now. Um, I mean, what whatever we come up with, Dr. McLean will come up with a, and this is what we've told you the whole time why that is. Um, the pulse thing could work. Okay. Yeah, ejaculates blood is is what Ashton suggests. 
Oh, we're talking about stuff after the accident, though. Like, yeah, like stuff that like you had noticed, but they told you, oh, there's a reason for that. It's blah blah blah. Because okay, the, there was an accident, and we helped you. Like, okay. he basically say like he installed something to give me a pulse and warmth. Yeah, so he'll he'll basically say like, you'll notice that you don't have a pulse. He says I say, that's ridiculous. You know, I'll like feel the pulse. Uh. Oh wait. Oh, I actually don't have the pulse then. Yeah. So yeah, I think uh, you've known that you have, and he says like, you know, you don't have. We had explained that you don't have a pulse because of a, um, essentially a, a different type of pump that we placed in your heart to, uh, to further pump oxygen to your, like through your bloodstream, um, as a way for you to more quickly recover after, after an accident. Um, that's not fully true. So that technology does exist in a few circumstances when people need either heart transplants or serious heart surgery. Uh, however, under your circumstance, it was a cover um, that I suggested to make sure that, quite frankly, you didn't think the fact that you didn't have a pulse was odd. Well, more fool me, then. We kept this from you so that any time you went to see a physician, you wouldn't have to go through this trauma so that you wouldn't have to be put through endless tests. We knew what was going on, and we knew that you were the same man with the same capabilities and talents. So rather than put you and your family through that, we decided to reward your loyalty by promoting you to the leadership of a field team. Okay. And he'll say, uh, he'll say, well, this, this is a lot to take in. Uh, is the technology, are there others like me? And Dr. McLean will say, essentially, Essentially, no. Um, there had been other attempts at a similar procedure, though. It seems we had not worked out some of the... And he'll kind of stress out again as to what the word he wants to use. And uh, Bishop will chime in to just say, like, they hadn't gotten all the bugs out. Too many. The other ones were fuck-ups. And uh, Dr. McLean will kind of, like, wince at that idea, and he'll say... The other patients either were not able to be resuscitated, or they. Um, <sighs> Ooh, what's what's the way that he puts this? That they like that they were basically zombies. Um, they had a severely diminished cognitive function. Yeah, they, he'll say that. He'll say they either weren't able to be resuscitated, or those who were had incredibly incredibly diminished cognitive function. So given the opportunity, I think Walker could just ask questions for like hours straight. Cause this is bizarre, but yeah. I don't want to like um, close too many doors as far as what this condition means. Now they knows mm -hmm. about it. So I'm not going to ask about that specifically. That works. That might be interesting to ask. Like the only thing that'd be interesting to ask would be um, what were the circumstances of my death? Darkblade, uh, yeah, you got that info from your mom. You avoided Brian's many attempts to assassinate you. Uh, but now, would you want to check out that location that your mom was talking about? Or would you want to do that yeah. with the rest of the team and you don't want to do that on your own? I think I would want to um, do that with the rest of the team. I guess I would, I would want to like maybe visit 
Mr. Wilker. Okay. What I want to do. Give him like un, an un, uh, uh, okay. So yeah, so I think you can visit. head over there and this is just when Welker and Ashton are at these meetings. They're just, he's out. And so if you pop by Welker's house, um, what would be the better thing for Julia to be mm-hmm. there and be like, Oh, hello, this is weird. Or for, um, Welker's daughter to be there who would also think this is, this is weird. Tara Welker. <laughs> okay, I guess that's the answer. Hi, Tara. And so when you knock on the door, Tara Welker, this 13-year-old girl full of sass, shows up. She's like, hello. Uh, oh, hey, Tara. What's up? I was just in the neighborhood, and your dad said I could come over whenever I She's wanted like, to. Well, um, he's busy, so why don't you give him a call? Um and he can probably tell you what to do there. You work with this would Tara recognize Darkblade? Um Chase Walker. Um it, you know, I we, I can't remember if he's been by the house or not. But if if not, then I guess not. Yeah, so she's like, "Why don't you give him a call? Like he's 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 busy, but if you give him a call, you can leave a message or figure something out and you guys could go somewhere." Well, hey, your dad, look, uh, this is totally normal. I'm just in the neighborhood, and he said that it'd be great if I stopped by if I was ever around and was thirsty. And you're going to roll weird. <laughs> let's hold off on any Let's let's hold off on any rolls. We don't need to make a yeah, roll out of this. Be weird as it is. Yeah, you, you do roll weird at the moment. Yeah, so I think she's like, um, why don't you give him a call, or I could give him a call and tell him that you're here. And... Um, like, just hang on. Why don't you give him a call? And I think she closes the door. And um, meanwhile, while Welker's in the meeting, uh, his phone is like, like, call from Tara or home or whatever it is. But he's in the meeting talking to people. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. So meanwhile, Darkblade, as this 13-year-old girl was like, what the hell's happening right now outside of my house? Um, uh, yeah, there's... Go ahead and make a. Uh, go ahead and make a. Go ahead and make a weird roll for me. You got, got a seven. seven. Okay, that's what I thought you said. All right. So yeah. you can almost. Oh, when you look at the front of this house, you're like, oh wait, yeah. There definitely was that. This definitely was where uh, my my parents' old house used to be, and I can even see. Oh, there's there's like a water tower. Like way back there, you can just see the tip of. If I go down like this, that's crazy. This is definitely where that house was. And you remember looking more closely. You had specified that you looked with like a like a magnifying glass or a jeweler's loop at the the image, and you had noticed that it was actually more in the back of the property than at the front or at the heart of the property. And so you're like, haha, wait. And you almost feel like something mm. is pulling you in that direction. Mm. All I'm right. Go walk around the back. So you walk house. around the back. Maybe there's a gate. Take but a it's look. the kind of gate that you can just reach over and open up or you hop over it. You end up in the backyard and the backyard has some, maybe some kids toys thrown around in the back. 
Um, maybe like a classic Welker. Classic <laughs> Welker. He and his wife are into kids' Family toy play. Yeah, he has a turtle sandbox. Absolutely. Yeah, there's a turtle sandbox yeah. there. And um, you can feel that you're being like pulled towards this thing and pulled towards this thing and all the way to the back of the property. And there's a fence at the back of the property. And you feel, wait a minute, it's just got to be just, it's at this fence. Or, and you feel, um, that's weird. You feel like you hear, you can almost hear a voice. And you hear this voice that seems like it's far off, it's distant, and it's muffled. And it says like, like you know, you just hear like, oh, you you finally came back. I'm going to remember uh, the vampire who told Herbert that he was from the ground, like under the ground, and he's going to be like, well, the vampire told you why don't you go stuff. under the ground with the other little and, people. You didn't say you were from under the ground. Mm-hmm. I don't r- believe. Oh, okay. Or maybe he said you were children of the earth, maybe. But he'll if you start looking around, it's you start looking around and you can't find almost anything. And then you realize, wait a minute. This lot of land seems smaller than what you had looked on at that map. And if you kind of climb Mm -hmm. the back fence a little bit and look over, over the back is like kind of a pile of rubble to a certain degree. Not to a certain degree. There's kind of a pile of rubble. Okay, I'm going to go. All right, so you're going to have to hop this fence. Closer. So you hop this fence, and there's this rubble that's uh, like old bricks, and it looks like maybe a barbecue that's in like disrepair that had fallen apart. Alex, I'm going to send you an image be a text message. I'll send it to everybody, actually. Yeah, so there's just this pile of rubble that looks like it could be um, a bunch of... It could be a barbecue that fell apart. It could be like a really massive doghouse. Or maybe someone was building an outhouse and the whole thing's collapsed. But some of the bricks you're looking at are really, really old. And if you start kind of like sifting through them and some of them and picking them up, you can get a feeling um, that like these things are familiar to you. There's a connection that you have to this. And uh, Mm. I think maybe some of the cuts on your hands from your uh, battles at the Cypress Knolls Tower Gardens open up again. And we see and are reminded that like your blood is now kind of like glimmering a bit. And we see Darkblade kind of like rummaging through these bricks Sundry is for several weeks, I think, kind of recovering, maybe at this church. Maybe early on you were so hurt that um, they kept, uh, they kept, there were one or two of the nuns who were like, like, we need to bring him to a hospital. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. And uh, the mother superior of the order who goes by, um, what did I name? She goes by Mother Thala, T H A L A. Mother Thala. She sounds like a. Yeah, listen up, Mother Thala. Uh, but yeah. So Mother Thala uh, kept kind of like telling them, no, we can help him, and kind of stopping them from doing that. 
And she and these other nuns seem to have like the, like I said, like the basics of first aid. Uh, but it takes a while for Sundry to kind of be able to, to kind of be up and about again. And you can tell that uh, like, like these folks are these women and it's all women that are kind of running this um, huge um, like convent slash church that's on the water. So part of it like actually like extends out onto the beach. And I think even like a piece of the building itself like goes into the water. So like as it crashes, it looks almost like an old, one of those old Greek or Roman ships that has that ram in the front of it, like part of the church um, like goes, extends into the water. And instead of a, like, like in addition to a bell, it's also the church almost looks like a lighthouse that like looks out onto the Gulf of Mexico. And yeah. So at some point I think um, Sundry's in some kind of like moment of meditation and she'll approach him. Uh, what would be his kind of moment of meditation or what, it, like in this, in this time where he's kind of like recuperating and also trireme, you got it. So he's like kind of recuperating in this moment and kind of questioning what the hell's going on with his life. And maybe I, he's like, I, mean, uh, I think this also had maybe maybe you had left also and gone hunting for that lesser vampire. So this is after that's happened. Okay. So yeah, you've at no point been confined to this place. Like you've been able to leave, but I think you're like staying there um, in part because these folks are taking care of you and you've got a lot of shit on your plate. Maybe he's just having like bad dreams about his wife, and so um, one night he. Um, like can't sleep and he goes to the, the sanctuary and uh, lights a candle for his wife. Okay. And uh, he's praying and he's like, not sure about any of this, but uh, if I can make things even a little bit right, I'm going to try. She'll say to you, like, I can tell that you've got a, can tell that you've got a heavy weight weighing you down. That's right. She'll say, you know, a ship builds it up over the course of uh, its seafaring. Barnacles cling to the hull. Eventually it needs to be cleaned off. And while I don't, re don't recommend you scrape yourself down, I think that, I think that washing away, like, I think lifting some of that weight, perhaps washing it away would be best. I think some weights you got to carry with you. Otherwise, you forget. She'll, she'll... She'll say, I couldn't help but hear your prayer. I don't think you're in... I don't think you're in danger of forgetting. But I do think you... need to move past whatever it is that you're doing. I don't think you can... I don't think you can stay on this course and find yourself in any kind of safe harbor. You really think every person deserves forgiveness? I think the I think the sanctuary looks out over part of the ocean, 
and she's quiet for a while. And then there's like a slow wave that's a little bit bigger than the others. It's still a fairly calm sea. Crashes on that like uh, that bit of the building that extends out into the the gulf. She'll say, you know, a sailor doesn't need to love his captain. Doesn't have to even love the ship. But if there's commitment to crossing the sea, there's a chance that they won't drown. They could maybe even make it to their destination. Do I believe in forgiveness? Absolutely. But that forgiveness doesn't just come with mere words. That forgiveness has to come with action. That life has to be changed. That forgiveness has to be proven, has to be shown. If the weight you're carrying is is really so heavy that you not only wouldn't want to forget it, but don't feel you ever could, you might have to... You might have to almost be reborn. Well, I reckon there's not much life life left for me uh, uh, in this present circumstance. So maybe that uh, whole reborn thing is uh, all I got left. Um, how does she... What do we as the audience see in her reactions to Sundry that she seems to know? What, like, what does she do that seems like she seems to know there's something supernatural afoot here as opposed to just like, Oh, this is a guy who's hit rock bottom and I got to help him kick his drug habit or get back on the straight and narrow or something like that. Like she does something that either the audience or the audience and sundry know this lady knows there's something supernatural up and she's going to try to help out with it. Uh, Maybe she takes the watch off of him. Okay. Yeah. She'll, she kind of like grabs your wrist and she looks at the time and says, says, you're a man on borrowed time. But this is weighing you down. And if you keep clinging to it, it's only going to sink you right down to the bottom. Sonia just says, uh, I don't know what else to do. You've got to recommit yourself to this. She'll tell you there's there's a force that brought you here. There's a force that chose you, that made you end up in this spot. That even with all these, that even with all this baggage, there's something that let you uh that let your let not just your body, but what left what's left of your soul be adrift here into this spot. And if you could wash that away. As much as it, as much of it as you can, at least, to keep going, to find yourself to a safe harbor on the other side, to kind of bring whoever you need with you, whoever you've been chosen to bring with you. you Lady, know. I'm not looking for a safe harbor. I got nothing left. All that's left for me now is uh, retribution. I didn't kill my wife, but she's damn sure dead because of me. Hmm. So that, I think brings us to the next the next little part of this scene i think that she says like she asks you like come with me and um she's gonna go bring you through almost like a uh i'm i'm referring to it as a baptismal ceremony i think she's gonna encourage you to like confess your sins yeah what is this ceremony does she just bring you out into this ocean and kind of like go through some kind of baptismal ceremony with you I think that'd be cool. I I agree with Ashton that it would be cool if they like drowned him. 
like if it's more than just like a regular baptism. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. She has you like come out into the water. And if you're like taking off your shoes or something like that, she's like, leave them on. It doesn't matter. And she just walks in and she's like fully, fully dressed in these, this outfit that seems like you really want to get that soaked. Mm -hmm. And she has you come out to like a little bit past. It's probably deeper on her. Um, but to sundry, like a little bit past waist deep and she'll kind of have you look out at the moon and say like, like, what is it that's weighing you down? I've done wrong, uh, done wrong my whole life. And, uh, it was my loved ones who pay for it. What's the ballast that you can't carry? What's the ballast that's bringing this ship down, this ship to below, below the sea? When I was young, I was a small man, but I was proud. Uh, and I was a good for nothing piece of shit. And I sold everything I had, even my soul, just for a taste of fame. And I've never been able to live that down or know whether there's anything that's truly good or any small piece of talent or anything of worth inside me. Would you give up that fame? Yes. Would you give up that, uh, the wealth that comes with it? Yeah, it's worthless. And she'll kind of like look at you. And I think that she, uh, I think with like a weird degree of strength for this woman who seems like someone in her, like maybe sixties, she kind of grabs Sundry, a much larger person than uh, he is, and she kind of just dunks him underwater and not in that kind of like, all right, I'm going to hold your nose in your mouth and have a gentle baptismal dunking. Instead, uh, she like grabs you with a force that you were not expecting in the slightest and kind of jams you underwater. And I think you had said that Sundry was probably like a, like a Baptist or uh, some kind of like Southern evangelical of, yes. of some... Southern Baptist. So, yeah, so he's probably like, oh, that's in his head, like, that's what's going on, and this doesn't seem too insane. He's maybe surprised by it. Yeah. Um, but the thing that further surprises him is that she doesn't let you go. And so Sundry's underwater for an amount of time that, like, starts to trigger that freak-out reflex. Yeah. And as he's fighting and fighting and fighting, um, he gets this kind of, like, we see this, just this light as we see a shot cool. of his eyes as he's struggling. He starts to see this light. And in this struggling and in this struggling, we see him thrashing around underwater. And we see a close-up of his arm. And we see this watch getting tighter and tighter in his hand, kind of turning blue. And maybe part of where the um, like the rim of the, the, the face of the watch cuts into his arm. And he, as he's thrashing around, at some point, uh, we just see the, the clasp on the watch kind of just give way. And we see him kind of go limp. This American Monster is a production of This American Dice. This American Monster uses the Monster of the Week system, a game published by Evil Hat Productions and by Michael Sands. Sundry Charms is Lee. Chase Welker is Carl. Darkblade69 
is Alex, Ashton Green is David, and your Game Master is Austin Smith. Our theme song is by Patrick Ross. It's called Sinlude. Additional music for this episode included Glacier Bells by Daniel Birch, Gamala by Ease Jammy Jams, Q5 Dark, Somber, Sad, Spooky, Ambient, Even in My Dreams by Solar Flare, Shadow Man by Lobo Loco, Street Life Silent Film by Lobo Loco, and Churchy by Coven. Additional voices included Alex Ernest as Jessica Lore. Please be sure to check out our Facebook group, and we'll see you next week.